Alright, and welcome back to the Chester McDunkachud Show. <laughs> I'm here with my guest, Jose Jones. Jose, how are you doing tonight? Hello. My full name is Jose Rico Nacho Taco Quesadilla Medilla Jones. <laughs> Quesadilla Medilla Jones? Yes. Wow. I run a fruit stand. The fruit of the gods. What kind of fruit? Bears. Bears? Bears. Bears or pears? Avocado. Oh. Alright, well. Um... Jose, roll the intro. Welcome back to Night Swims, a podcast hosted by two idiots who think they know everything about mysteries, conspiracies, and strange phenomena. Jackson, how you doing? Douglas, I'm back from a long uh, vacation. Thanksgiving. Vacation. Yeah. And I'm ready to go. Yeah, I hope so. I uh, I have our longest topic yet. Nine pages worth of information has been bestowed upon me by the... Have you studied the information? Yes, it is. Do you know the information? Allow me to explain. It is both information that uh, I have known just from uh, research over the years, seeing movies about it, and just from reading about it uh, earlier today. I learned more stuff that I did not know about uh, back then when I first started to get into this topic today mm-hmm. uh we have a we have a big thing we we have done two of the three topics that are in our bio oh yeah we've done uh elisa lamb and the bermuda triangle only one left is the phenomenon known as the butterfly effect oh uh, yeah yeah why'd you why'd you put those in the bio i thought it was a good mix bermuda triangle is something very uh odd conspiracy like uh, butterfly effect is a strange phenomena, and the death of Lisa Lamb is quite mysterious. If you remember from our <coughs> one year anniversary podcast, yeah. So I thought it was a healthy mix. It gave people a good idea of uh, kind of so, like. So why general. haven't we covered the butterfly effect yet? I haven't yet because I really wanted to do the one that I did today for a while. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, things out there. One yeah. of my favorite mysteries out there. Spoiler: alert, It's a serial killer. My po- my favorite serial killer. It's a weird way to say that. My favorite in the sense of that it's uh, just like all the details and like all the mysteries surrounded it. My favorite serial killer that was caught was probably Ted Bundy. Yeah. Yeah, Preston, our audience member. Say he's awesome. Yeah, he seconded that. He said Ted Bundy's awesome. Preston, if any moment you want to interject, please feel free. We will. uh, Dude, killed a bunch of people. Super cool. Yeah. Well, he's not really mysterious. But we don't do like serial killers. We do like uns- if we were to do a serial killer, it'd be one like unsolved, like the one I did today. Would you say that the one we're about to cover is the most famous? Absolutely, yeah. without a doubt. There's no question in my mind. That and Jack the Ripper, I would have to say. Mm-hmm. This and Jack. I the almost Ripper did Jack the Ripper. One are time. definitely up there. I also I learned something. Wombats poop cubes. Really? Yeah. And the reason they poop cubes. Really don't know what a wombat is. It's a rat of some sorts, a marsupial maybe. I think it's the biggest rodent. Is the it? biggest rodent. The biggest rodent. Uh, they poop cubes and then stack them because the higher the poops tower, the more attractive it is for mating. I wish it was like that. Me too. For us. Yeah. yeah. Can get some poop cubes going. Yeah, I have a water bottle, Savannah. Oh, no. Jesus get Christ. your own water. And then uh, I thought I thought about this. We don't have to do this. I thought it'd be funny because, you know, we're, we're in the process of slowly trying to gain some ground for Nightsums. We're, we're uh, going to do something soon to try and build up uh, a bigger following. Mm-hmm. Won't specifically go into what because it's very complicated. But I thought with that in mind, maybe we should go to Twitter. So I thought it would be fun. We don't have to do it this podcast. We can do it next podcast. Uh, during the recording of the podcast, we take a break. We then make each other's Twitters and then react to them on the podcast before we get into the topic. Now, since this topic react is... React to them? Yeah, like, say, like, I make your Twitter hand, Twitter <clears throat> account, you would then, you would have no idea what it would be, and I'll try to make it as funny as possible. I have some ideas in my head. <coughs> Bless you. But uh, since this podcast is quite long, the topic, and we have two guests, usually, instead of the usual one, I figured we can just wait till next time. Yeah. Or we can... Do it this podcast. No, we wait till next time. We'll wait till next time. So yeah, so I, do, I get more time to think. Yeah, I do think we uh we should go, I guess start the Twitter route because after this we're gonna after this podcast we're gonna record we're gonna figure out how to do the thing that Preston showed us uh, what to do. 
So yeah, that's that's really all I have. All my discussions for the podcast have been talked about. I have a story I want to tell, but it's kind of long. I don't want to do that. I'll do that one next week. It's from high school. I'll just wait and do that next week. We got a short story. Okay. So um, I was riding to work today. I was driving. Of course. I had to go pick up uh, 50 crickets from PetSmart. Why? Uh, I don't know. It's for my mom. Um, it's weird stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, so I was heading to work, and I'm usually jamming, you know, music going, full blast. I do that too, and then yeah. Savannah calls me. Yeah. Kills uh, the vibe. Yeah, that does kill the vibe. But um, so, you know, I'm jamming out, singing, and... Um, so I'm listening to Spiderhead by Cage the Elephant, you know, yeah, that's, know that that's a, that's a definite jammable song. Absolutely. So the speaker's blaring. I'm pretending like I'm in a music video. Of course. Just singing, Everyone always does in the car. Singing away. So then I look over, there's a school bus full of children just laughing at me. <laughs> like, no, yeah. Like, and I, I, like we're at a red light and I look at, like, I'm just looking at these kids. They're just laughing their asses off and light turns green. I'm just like both hands on the steering wheel just looking forward and I floor it just to get out of there and yeah but I mean I was having fun you know it was a good time so I mean I was embarrassed at the moment but now I'm proud of myself that's a good one yeah was it was it good that that happened today so we're having some chatter behind us and it is it distracting you it's it not really distracting, distracting me they're talk <clears throat> it's really would y'all could y'all go in a different room, maybe in the bathroom? Or we're barely talking. They can't hear you. Whatever. You're it screwing bothered, up the it podcast. Bothers me. It bothers me. I'm sorry. You have to um, cut that. Before we get, before hey, you might, you two might want to listen to this. Before we get in, uh, into the topic, we have our first ad. Mm-hmm. Our first official ad. Uh, you guys, you ready? Okay. I'm ready. Uh, so Southern Closet was started in February of 2018. It is run by Cole Closet and is a clothing page on Instagram at Southern Closet that sells shirts, jackets, pants, accessories such as belts, shoes, and sports memorabilia in some cases. Southern Closet brings unique clothing that many consider hard to find and sometimes expensive clothing to you for an affordable price. All you have to do to start shopping is go to at Southern Closet on Instagram and view the over 50 current items on sale right now. All prices are in each description of the post and shipping only ranges from four to seven dollars and is nationwide southern closet accepts venmo and paypal and has recently started a monthly giveaway just go to southern closet right now to start shopping today wow so uh that's our first official ad Un- unpaid ad unpaid ad yeah but uh that's our first official ad it uh southern closet has about 800 followers i believe uh 850 maybe close to a thousand uh, at this point i haven't checked in a while I think it's around 800, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that was our first official ad yeah. by uh, Cole Closet. <laughs> Cole Closet. <laughs> I'm kind of sad. I made a logo for uh, Southern Closet, but uh, ended up, they ended up not using it. Really? Yeah. I Cole. can't believe Cole would do that to you. I know. Yeah. Anyways, let's get into the podcast. All right. Well, Douglas, as you know, but as the listeners know by the title, hopefully... Um, today, we are going over the Zodiac Killer. Ooh. So the way, so uh, first off, I want to give a big shout out to this website called Zodiac Ciphers. It essentially has every bit of evidence ever about the Zodiac Killer in extreme detail. It, it, it's actually really, really cool. It's, it's ZodiacCiphers.com if you want to look up the Zodiac uh, for yourself. So I, what I'll be going over first is a timeline of all the events and then possible suspects and theories. And then this is based on uh, stuff that I read and typed out and then my own personal knowledge just from reading about it or just like watching anything like that, like I said in the beginning. And then everything that is known about the killings is due to forensic evidence in case there were any uh, any victims that were dead on scene and weren't able to like tell exactly what happened due to forensics, uh, they're able to tell. So that is why uh, there's a great detail going into this. So... On the night of December 20th, 1968, high school students Betty Lou Jensen, 16, and David Faraday, 17, were on their first date and planned <clears throat> to attend a Christmas concert at Hogan High School, th- only three blocks from Jensen's home. That little tidbit right there, uh, we'll, I'll explain that at the end. It's actually a very important piece of information that people uh, use. The couple instead visited a friend, stopped at a restaurant, and then drove out to Lake Herman Road. At around 10.15 p.m., Faraday parked his mom's Rambler in a gravel turnout, which was well known as Lover's Lane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At around 11 p.m., 
A car pulled in and parked next to the couple. It is believed that the Zodiac killer pulled up beside their Rambler and ordered them both out of the car with a 22 handgun, firing off at least two warning shots that struck the Rambler. Quick, want to give a shout out to Mike for the intro music. One bullet shattered the right rear window and lodged in the left rear wheel well, while the second bullet struck the headliner of the vehicle. Betty Lou is thought to have exited the passenger side of the Rambler, followed by David Faraday. What followed is subjective, but what we do know is that David Faraday was shot through the lower portion of his left ear, causing a fatal brain injury, and fell to the rear of the vehicle. Betty Lou Jensen, apparently fearing for the worst, either made a desperate attempt to flee or was ordered to run by her killer, kind of like a hunting, Mm -hmm. but whatever the case, she was gunned down by five bullets to the right side of her back, succumbing at around 33 feet from the right rear of the Rambler and falling backwards. Her head was facing the rear bumper of the Rambler 28 feet away, her feet facing in a westerly direction. So this is all from Zodiac Cyphers, and you can tell, like, all, like, like they were able to gain, like, all the evidence files and give it all, like, verb for word. That is very detailed. Yeah. David Faraday was found lying virtually 90 degrees facing southwesterly to the rear right passenger side wheel with a gunshot wound to the left side of his head. He was still breathing at the time. Unfortunately, however, Betty Lou Jensen had suffered catastrophic injuries, and detectives were unable to find any signs of life. David Faraday was rushed from the scene, but unfortunately was pronounced dead on arrival at the nearby Vallejo Hospital at 12.05 a.m. So this is believed to be the first attack of the Zodiac Killer. Uh, it is known as the Lake Herman Road attack. So the second attack is known as the Blue Rock Springs attack. Uh, just before midnight on July 4th, 1969, Darlene Farron and Michael Majo, remember Michael Majo? drove into the Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, four miles from the Lake Herman Road murder site, and parked. While a couple sat in Farron's car, a second car drove into the lot and parked alongside them, but almost immediately drove away. Returning about ten minutes later, this second car parked behind them. The driver of the second car then exited the vehicle, approaching the passenger side door of Farron's car, carrying a flashlight and a 9mm Luger. The killer directed the flashlight into Mejo's... Majos and Farron's eyes before shooting at them, firing five times. Both victims were hit, and several bullets passed, had passed through Majo into Farron. The killer walked away bef- from the car, but upon hearing Majo's moaning, returned and shot each victim twice before driving off. Damn. On July 5, 1969, at 12.40 a.m., a man phoned the Vallejo Police Department to report, a claim res- to report and claim responsibility for the attack. The caller also took credit for the murders of Jensen and Faraday six and a half months earlier. The police traced the call to a phone booth at a gas station at Springs Road and Tuolumne, about three-tenths of a mile from Farron's home and only a few blocks from the Vallejo Police Department. Also, uh, when they got there, the telephone was still hanging off, leading people, like, hanging off the... What are the public... A phone booth. It was hanging off the phone, but like it wasn't like yeah, it wasn't up on the payphone. It was like still hanging off, which many people believe the uh, the killer was actually very close when police got there at the phone booth. Like he had Mm. just left, or he was maybe even watching them as sort of like a sick obsession or like sick like satisfaction. Farron was pronounced dead at the hospital. Majo miraculously survived the attack despite being shot in the face, neck, and chest. Uh, I want to say he was shot about seven times, and he still was able to survive. Uh, Majo described his attacker as a 26 to 30 year old man, 195 to 200 pounds, or possibly even more, 5'8", white man with short, light brown, curly hair. So we are two attacks down. Any thoughts so far? And again, very, very detailed website. Yeah. <laughs> That's your one thought? It's like, yeah, he was facing northwest and <coughs> all the like intricate sort of like... And there's a lot of there's a, like how they died and what yeah. like placement they were in. There were too many pictures uh, that I wanted that uh, that I I didn't know which pictures to show, so I'm not going to show you any pictures during this just because it's so much information as well. Mm-hmm. But there are a few pictures that I have in mind that we can post that I'll show you when we're done recording. Yeah. Uh, so this is the first. So as you know, do you know about the you know about the zodiac a good bit? I mean a little bit. So, but really... you know about like the letters. That's like his big. That's yeah. why he's so famous because yeah. the letters. So this is when the first letters start to show up. So on August first, nineteen sixty nine. So uh, just like two months after the Blue Rock Springs attack, three letters prepared by the killer were received at the Vallejo Times Herald, the San Francisco Chronicle, and then San Francisco Examiner. The nearly identical letters, subsequently described by a psychiatrist to have been written by someone you would expect to be brooding and isolated, 
took credit for the shootings at Lake Herman Road and the Blue Rock Springs. Each letter also included one-third of a 408-symbol cryptogram, which the killer claimed contained his identity. The killer demanded they be printed on each paper's front page, or he would cruise around all weekend killing lone people in the night, then move on to kill again until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend. The Chronicle published its third of the cryptogram on page four of the next day's edition. An article printed alongside the code quoted Vallejo Police Chief Jack E. Stills as saying, We're not satisfied that the letter was written by the murderer and requested the writer send a second letter with more facts to prove his identity. The threatened murders did not happen, however, and all three parts were eventually published. On August 7, 1969, another letter was received at the San Francisco Examiner with the citation, Dear Editor, This is the Zodiac Speaking. This was the first time the killer had used his name for identification. The letter was a response to Chief Still's request for more details that would prove he had killed Faraday, Jensen, and Farron. In it, the Zodiac included details about the murders which had not been released to the public, as well as a message to the police that when they crack the code, they will have, they will have me. On August 8, 1969, Donald and Betty Hardin of Salinas, California, school teachers, I might add, uh, cracked the 408 symbol cryptogram. They uh, they decided to do it over breakfast one day. Hmm. They were in the they were reading the paper, and the husband goes, "Do you want to try and crack this?" And they were like, "Sure," and they cracked it in the afternoon. It contained a misspelled message in which the killer said he was collecting slaves for the afterlife. No name appears in the decoded text, and the killer said he would not give away his identity because it would slow down or stop his slave collection. The translation uh, reads this. I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all to kill. Something gives me the thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise, and they, and they have killed will become my... It's hard to read because it's a lot misspelled. Yeah. They have killed will become my slaves, and I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down or stop my collection of slaves for my afterlife. And the last few letters are E-B-E-O-R-I-E-T-E M-E-T-H-H-P-I-T-I. It's the last part of the message, but it's no one has been able to solve it to this day. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, so that's the first string of letters from the Zodiac Killer. Yeah? Anything? I mean, I don't really have anything right now. Audience? <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool stuff, bro. Thanks. Mad Liddy. So, so the next attack... Uh, is known as the Lake Berryessa attack. On September 27, 1969, Pacific Union College students Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were picnicking at Lake Berryessa on a small island connected by a sand pit to Twin Oak Ridge. A white man, about 5'11", weighing more than 170 pounds with combed, greasy brown hair, approached them wearing a black executioner's type hood with clip-on sunglasses over the eye holes and a bib-like device on his chest that had a white 3x3 cross circle symbol on it. The sim, you know, mm-hmm. it's a yeah. So it's a very famous symbol uh, associated with the Zodiac Killer. Uh, he approached them with a gun, which Hartnell believed to be a 45 caliber gun. The hooded man claimed to be an escaped convict from a jail with two with a two word name in either Colorado or Montana. A police officer later inferred he had been referring to a jail in Deer Lodge, Montana, where he had killed a guard and subsequently stolen a vehicle, explaining that he now needed their car and money to go to Mexico, as the vehicle he had been driving was too hot. He had brought pre-cut lengths of plastic clothesline and told Shepard to tie up Hartnell before he tied her up. The killer checked and tightened Hartnell's bonds after discovering Shepard had bound Hartnell's hands loosely in hopes that Hartnell would break free and overpower the man. Hartnell initially believed this event to be a weird robbery, but the man drew a knife and stabbed them both repeatedly, Hartnell suffering six and Shepard ten wounds in the process. The killer then hiked 500 yards back up to Knoxville Road, drew the cross circle symbol on Hartnell's car door with a black felt tip pen, and wrote beneath it, Vallejo... Dash twelve twenty sixty eight dash seven four sixty nine dash September twenty seventh sixty nine six thirty by knife. Those are the dates for the first two attacks. Mm-hmm. I believe so. Let me check. Yeah, those are the dates for the first two attacks. I had to go back and check on them. Uh, at seven forty p.m. that day, the killer called the Napa County Sheriff's Office from a pay telephone to report the latest crime. This caller first stated to the operator that he wished to report a murder. No, a double murder. 
before stating that he had been the perpetrator of the crime. The phone was found still off the hook minutes later at the Napa car wash on Main Street in Napa by KVON radio reporter Pat Stanley only a few blocks from the sheriff's office, yet 27 miles from the crime scene. Detectives were able to lift a still wet palm print from the telephone but were never able to match it to any suspect. After hearing their screams for help, a man and his son, who were fishing in a nearby cove, discovered the victims and summoned help by contacting park rangers. Napa County Sheriff's deputies Dave Collins and Ray Land were the first law enforcement officers to arrive at the crime scene. Cecilia Shepard was conscious when Collins arrived, providing him with a detailed description of the attacker. Hartnell and Shepard were taken to Queen of the Valley Hospital in Napa by ambulance. Shepard lapsed into a coma during transport to the hospital and never regained consciousness. She died two days later, but Hartnell revived survived to recount his tale to the press. Napa County Sheriff Detective Ken Narlow, who was assigned to the case from the outset, worked on solving crime until his retirement from the department in 1987. I need some water. I'm reading a lot. There you go. Oh, man. It's a lot of stuff. It's a, it's a lot of information. Don't worry. <coughs> We're two pages down, I think. Jesus Christ. So the next attacks... Uh, happened two weeks later, and they're known as the Presidio Heights attacks. So two weeks later, on October 11, 1969, a passenger entered the cab, a cab driven by Paul Stein at the intersection of Mason and Geary Streets, one block west from Union Square, in San Francisco, requesting to be taken to Washington and Maple Streets in Presidio Heights. For reasons unknown, Stein drove one block past Maple to Cherry Street. The passenger then shot Stein once in the head with a 9mm, took Stein's wallet and car keys, and tore away a section of Stein's blood-stained shirt tail. This passenger was observed by three teenagers across the street at 9.55pm who called the police while the crime was in progress. They observed a man wiping the cab down before walking away towards the Presidio, one block to the north. Two blocks from the crime scene, Officer Don Fook responding to the call observed a white man walking along the sidewalk and stepping onto a stairway leading up to the front yard of one of the homes on the north side of the street the encounter lasted only five to ten seconds fook estimated the man to be 35 to 45 years old while the teenagers who observed the killer in stein's cab mentioned he was between 25 and 30 and about 5'8 to 5'9. The radio dispatcher had alerted to be on the lookout for a black suspect so they drove past him without stopping the mix-up in description remains unexplained a search ensued, but no suspects were found. The three teen witnesses worked with a police artist to repair a composite sketch of Stein's killer. A few days later, this police artist returned, working with the witnesses to prepare a second composite sketch of the killer. Detectives Bill Armstrong and Dave Toshi were assigned to the case, and the San Francisco Police Department investigated an estimated 2,500 suspects over a period of years. So, to go into a little more detail about that, uh, two officers that were on patrol that night uh, believe, and this will be mentioned later, believe to have talked with the Zodiac Killer himself, but since the dispatcher had talked about a black suspect and he was white, mm-hmm. they hadn't done anything about it. They, talked to him, they said they talked to him for like five minutes, yeah. and they never even stopped him. They just let him on his way. Ooh. So this is, so con- this is continuing uh, communication with the Zodiac. On October 14, 1969, the Chronicle received another letter from the Zodiac, this time containing a swatch of Paul Stein's shirt tail as proof he was the killer. It also included a threat about killing school children on a school bus. To do this, Zodiac wrote, just shoot out the front tire and then pick off the little kitties as they come bouncing out. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon on October 20, 1969, someone claiming to be the Zodiac called the Oakland Police Department, demanding that... One of two prominent lawyers, F. Lee Bailey or Melvin Belly, appear on the local television show AM San Francisco, hosted by Jim Dunbar. Bailey was not available, but Belly did appear on the show. Dunbar appeared to appeal to the viewers to keep the lines open, and eventually someone claiming to be the Zodiac called several times and said his name was Sam. Bailey agreed to meet with him in Daly City, but the suspect never showed up. So there's a movie starring uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Mark Ruffalo, and Robert Downey Jr. called Zodiac. That's essentially about this entire thing. And I don't know if this is entirely true, but it's just it was very uh, captivating in the movie. During the scene where he calls uh, the man who claims to be the Zodiac killer, basically is acting like a full-blown lunatic. He's like screaming and like talking about like demons and like his head being all messed up and everything. So I wasn't able to find anything about the specifics on that. But if the movie, I believe the movie, because David Fincher who directed it wanted to be as accurate a representation as possible. So if that stuff actually did happen, then that's why people believe uh, that this was actually the Zodiac Killer that called, but he probably gave a fake name. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, on November 8th, 1969, the Zodiac mailed a card with another cryptogram consisting of 340 characters. The cipher has never been decoded to this day, and numerous possible solutions have been suggested, but none can be claimed as definitive. On November 9th, 1969, the Zodiac mailed a seven-page letter stating the two policemen stopped and actually spoke with him three minutes after he shot Stein. Excerpts from the letter were published in the Chronicle on November 12th, including the Zodiac's claim that same day, Officer Don Fook, oh, sorry, it was a cutoff weird, including the Zodiac claim, uh, that same day, Officer Don Fook wrote, what? I said I'm tired. Why are you tired? I don't know. Am I boring you? A little bit. Are you serious? <laughs> Have an imagination. Oh, I'm, I'm vividly picturing everything you say in um, my head. And, but, like, whenever you ask me a question, it just goes, poop, and it's gone. Like, it's like a movie in my head right now. And that, when you said Jake Gyllenhaal, I pictured really Jake Gyllenhaal. Right really? Preston, audience, how do you feel? You're doing a great job. Sweetheart. Aww, I don't need you to kiss ass. I'm good, thank you. You can be honest. Hold on, slap me. Oh, that was a little too hard. You want to do it again? <laughs> no, I'm good. Okay. Ow. That... <laughs> Jesus Christ. The same day, uh, on November 9th, Officer Dan Fook wrote a memo explaining what had happened the night of Stein's murder. And on December 20th, 1969, exactly one year after the murder of David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, the Zodiac mailed a letter to Belly that included another swatch of Stein's shirt. The Zodiac said he wanted Belly to help him. So... <laughs> On the night, <laughs> stop looking at me weird. On the night of March 22nd, 1970, Kathleen Johns was driving from San Bernardino to Pet Petaluma to visit her mother. She was seven months pregnant and had her 10-month-old daughter beside her. While heading west on Highway 132 near Modesto, Modesto, a car behind her began honking its horn and flashing its headlights at her. She eventually pulled off the road and stopped. The man in the car parked behind her, approached her car, and stated that he observed that her right rear wheel was wobbling and offered to tighten the lug nuts. After finishing his work, the man drove off, yet when Johns pulled forward to re-enter the highway, the wheel almost immediately came off the car. The man returned, claiming like, oh, I messed up. I guess the car was a lot more, you know, lot worse uh, case than what I actually thought. You know, and he was like, let me offer you a ride. So uh, uh, when he, off he offered to drive her to the nearest gas station for help, and she and her daughter climbed into the car. So during the ride, the car passed several service stations, but the man did not stop. For about 90 minutes, he drove back and forth around the back roads near Tracy. And when Johns asked why he was not stopping, he would always change the subject. When the driver finally stopped at an intersection, Johns jumped out with her daughter and hid in a field. The driver searched for her using his flashlight telling her that he would not hurt her before eventually giving up. Unable to find her, he got back into her car and drove off. Johns eventually hitched a ride to the police station in Patterson. When Johns gave her statement to the sergeant on duty, she noticed the police composite sketch of Paul Stein's killer and recognized him as the man who had abducted her and her child. Fearing he might come back and kill them all, the sergeant had Johns wait in the dark at a nearby Mills restaurant with other cops, not just by herself. When her car was found, it had been gutted and torched. Most accounts say he threatened to kill her and her daughter while driving them around, but at least one police report disputes that. John's account, according to Paul Avery of the Chronicle, indicates her abductor left his car and searched for her in the dark with a flashlight. However, in one report she made to the police, she stated he did not leave the vehicle. So again, uh, conflicting uh, stories. So the Zodiac in the midst of all this, continued to communicate with authorities for the remainder of 1970 via letters and greeting cards of the press. In a letter postmarked April 20th, 1970, the Zodiac wrote, My name is blank, followed by a 13-character cipher. The Zodiac went on to, this, on to state that he was not responsible for the recent bombing of a police station in San Francisco, referring to the February 18th, 1970 death of Sergeant Brian McDonald, two days after the bombing of Park Station in Golden Gate Park but added there is more glory to killing a cop than a kid because a cop can shoot back. The letter included a diagram of a bomb the Zodiac claimed he would use to blow up a school bus, and at the bottom of the damn diagram, he wrote the symbol mm -hmm. uh, 10 San Francisco Police Department 0. 
Uh, the Zodiac sent a greeting card postmarked April 28th, 1970 to the Chronicle. Written on the card was, I hope you enjoy yourselves when I have my blast, in all caps. Punny. Followed by the Zodiac's cross-circle signature. On the back of the card, the Zodiac threatened to use the bus bomb soon unless the newspaper published the full details he wrote. He also wanted to start seeing people wearing some nice Zodiac buttons. Zodiac buttons. Yeah. So he's got some merch, right? Apparently. <laughs> In a letter postmarked June 26, 1970, the Zodiac stated he was upset that he did not see people wearing Zodiac buttons. He wrote, I shot a man sitting in a parked car with a 38. The Zodiac... The Zodiac was possibly referring to the murder of Sergeant Richard Ratatich a week earlier on June 19th. At 5.28 a.m., Ratatich was riding a parking ticket in his squad car when an assailant shot him in the head with a 38 caliber pistol. Ratatich died 15 hours later. The police department denies the Zodiac was involved in the murder, but it remains unsolved. So the Zodiac has uh, a few murders that people believe uh, that he has committed, but he's never been like fully attached to like the Modesto or... Uh, the Lake Herman Road, or anything like that. <clears throat> Included with the letter, there was a Phillips 66 roadmap of the San Francisco Bay Area. On the image of Mount Diablo, the Zodiac had drawn a cross circle similar to the ones he had included in previous correspondence, and at the top of the cross circle, he placed a zero, and then a three, a six, excuse me, a six and a nine, so like zero, like a uh, compass essentially. Mm -hmm. The accompanying instructions stated that the zero was to be set to magnitude N. The letter also included a 32 letter cipher that the killer claimed would, in conjunction with the code, lead to the location of a bomb he had buried and set to go off in the fall. The cipher was never decoded and the alleged bomb was never located. The killer signed the note with Zodiac 12 SFPD 0. So I may be wrong about this. But I I might have like read this somewhere. But uh, in the map when he wrote the essential map on Mount Diablo, it may have been that each uh, like point like zero three was uh, where a crime that he committed happened, like a very like an exact uh, place of where they had happened. Like a coordinate. Yeah, mm -hmm. but that I, I may not I may not be so sure about. That's that might be something I just like uh, got I guess got mistaken. Mm. In a, letter to the, in a letter to the Chronicle, postmarked July 24, 1970, the Zodiac took credit for Kathleen John's abduction four months after the incident. In a July 26, 1970 letter, the Zodiac paraphrased a song from the Mikado, adding his own lyrics about making a little list of the ways he planned to torture his slaves in paradise. The letter was signed with a large, exaggerated cross-circle symbol and a new score, Zodiac 13, San Francisco Police Department 0. A final note at the bottom of the letter stated, P.S. The Mount Diablo the Mount Diablo code concerns radians plus pound inches along the radians. Whatever that means. Am I boring you? No. I feel like I'm tiring you. Good. You sure? I'm close to the end. To those people that are bored. You're reading like very fast. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think so. Alright, I'll slow down. Hold on, pause it. What? Pause it real quick. Alright, finish some fur music. The real swinging plays. There isn't much gravity there. Alright. Some tune of walking in a winter wonderland. I don't know. Huh. Maybe. But uh alright. Short intermission for Douglas to try and wake up. I'm up. I'm uh, up. I'm up. Well, great. No, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. The new score, uh, the final note. Oh, yeah. In 1981, a close examination of the radian hint by Zodiac researcher Gareth Penn led to the discovery that a radian angle, when placed over the map per Zodiac's instructions, pointed to location of two locations of two Zodiac attacks. So I was right about that. On October 7, 1970, the Chronicle received a 3x5-inch card signed by the Zodiac with the cross symbol and a small cross reportedly drawn in blood. The Are you serious? <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, stop, Siri. Stop. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. <laughs> Uh, the card's message was formed by pasting, pasting words and letters from an edition of the Chronicle. Shut up. Pasting. It's spelled pasting. 
No, it's not. P A S T I N G. Pasting. That's pasting? Yes. Oh. <laughs> pasting words and letters from an edition of the Chronicle, and 13 holes were punched across the letter. Idiot. Shut up. <laughs> Inspectors Armstrong and Toshi agreed it was highly probable the card came from the Zodiac. Wow. Highly probable. Uh, on October 27, 1970, Chronicle reporter Paul Avery, who had been covering the Zodiac case, received a Halloween card signed with the letter Z and the Zodiac's cross-circle symbol. Handwritten on the card was the note, Peekaboo, you are doomed. The threat was taken seriously and received a front-page story on the Chronicle. Soon after receiving this letter, Avery received an anonymous letter alerting him in the similarities between the Zodiac's activities and the unsolved murder of Cherry Joe Bates, which had occurred four years earlier at the City College in Riverside in the greater L.A. area, more than 400 miles south of San Francisco. He reported his findings in the Chronicle on November 16, 1970. So uh, now I'm going to read over three suspected Zodiac attacks. If you're up for that. Suspected Zodiac attacks? Yeah. Unless you want to read them to try and wake up. No, I thought we were going over, like, suspects, too. Sus- well, we're doing suspected attacks, attacks ah. first. People people believe that they're connected. And this is, this is the one that he claims responsibility for in Sherry Joe Bates. On October 30th, 1966, 18-year-old Sherry Joe Bates, a student at Riverside Community College, spent the evening at the campus library annex until it closed at about 9 p.m. Neighbors reported hearing a scream around 10.30 p.m., and Bates was found dead the next morning, a short distance from the library between two abandoned houses slated to be demolished for campus renovations. The wires in her Volkswagen's distributor cab had been pulled out. She was brutally beaten and stabbed to death, and a man's Timex watch with a torn wristband was found nearby. The watch had stopped at 12.24, but police believe the attack occurred much earlier. A month later, on November 29, 1966, nearly identical typewriters, typewritten letters were mailed to the Riverside Police and the Riverside Press Enterprise, Enterprise titled The Confession. The author claimed responsibility for the Bates murders, provi- providing details of the crime that were not released to the public. The author warned that Bates is not the first and she will not be the last. In December, in December 1966, a poem was discovered carved into the bottom side of a desktop in the Riverside City College Library titled Sick of Living, Unwilling to Die. The poem's language and handwriting resembled that of the Zodiac's letters, and it was signed with what were assumed to be the initials R.H., during the 1970 investigation, Sherwood Morrill, California's top question documents examiner, expressed his opinion that the poem was written by the Zodiac. On April 30, 1967, exactly six months after the Bates murder, Bates's father, Joseph, the Press Enterprise, and the Riverside Police all received nearly identical letters in a handwritten scrawl. The Press Enterprise and the police copies read, Bates had to die, there will be more with a small scribble at the bottom that resembled the letter Z. Joseph Bates's copy read, She had to die, there will be more. So, not a big difference. And this time, without the Z signature. On March 13, 1971, five months after Avery's article linking the Zodiac to the Riverside murder, the Zodiac mailed a letter to the Los Angeles Times. In the letter, he credited the police instead of Avery for discovering his Riverside activity, but they are only finding the easy ones. There are a hell of a lot more down there. The connection between Cherry Joe Bates, Riverside, and the Zodiac remain uncertain. Paul Avery and the Riverside Police Department maintained that the Bates homicide was not committed by the Zodiac, but did not concede some of the Bates letters may have been in his work to claim credit falsely. There's been a murder (laughs) in Savannah. On March 22, 1971, a postcard to the Chronicle addressed to Paul Avery and believed to be from the... Do you hear that? Hear what? It's the Zodiac. What? Uh, Uh, Some crash upstairs. (laughs) A letter believed to be from the Zodiac. Your dorm is upstairs. Someone's in my dorm. It's probably my roommate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I uh, this letter appeared to claim responsibility for the disappearance of Donna Lass on September 6, 1970. Made from a collage of advertisements and magazine lettering, it featured a scene from an advertisement for Forest Pines Condominiums and the text, Sierra Club... Condominiums. I said that. I said condominiums. Condominiums, I'm sorry. Condom. 
condominiums. And, and the text, Sierra Club, sought victim 12, peeked through the pines, past Lake Tahoe areas, and around in the snow. Zodiac's cross circle symbol was in both the place of the usual return address and the lower right section of the front face of the postcard. <laughs> Bless you. Last was a nurse at the Sahara Tahoe Hotel and Casino. She worked until about 2 a.m. on September 6th, treating her last patient at 1.40 a.m. Later the same day, both Lass's employer and her landlord received phone calls from an unknown male falsely claiming Lass had left town due to a family emergency. Lass was never found. What appeared to be a gravesite was discovered near the Claire Tapan Lodge in Northern California on Sierra Club property, but an excavation yielded only a pair of sunglasses. No evidence has been uncovered to connect the last disappearance with the Zodiac Killer definitively. Water break. It's a lot of reading. Oh, you're clipping your toenails and or fingernails in the mic. That was disgusting. In the Vallejo Times Herald story appearing on November 13, 1972, Bill Baker of the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office postulated that the murders of a young couple in northern Santa Barbara County might have been the work of the Zodiac Killer. On June 4, 1963, high school senior Robert Dominguez and fiancé Linda Edwards were shot dead on a beach near Lompoc, having skipped school that day for senior ditch day. Police believed that the assailant attempted to bind the victims, but when they freed themselves and attempted to flee, the killer shot them repeatedly in the back and chest with a 22 caliber. The killer then placed their bodies in a small shack and then tried unsuccessfully to burn the structure to the ground. Hmm. After the Pines card, the Zodiac remained silent for nearly three years, and the Chronicle then received a letter from the Zodiac postmarked January 29, 1974, praising The Exorcist as the best satirical comedy that I have ever seen. The letter included a snippet of verse from the Mikado and an unusual symbol at the bottom that has remained unexplained by researchers. Zodiac concluded the letter with a new score, Me 37, San Francisco Police Department 0. Uh, a letter dated April 24, 1970, was initially deemed authentic, but was declared a hoax less than three months later by three experts. Dave, T oh, excuse me, oh, bless me. Dave Toshi, the SFPD homicide detective who had been working the case since the Stein murder, was thought to have forged the letter because author Armistead Maupin believed the letter to be similar to fan mail he received in 1976 which he believed was authored by Toshi. While he admitted to writing the fan mail, Toshi denied forging the Zodiac letter and it was eventually cleared of any charges. The authenticity of this letter... <laughs> that was Irish. <laughs> of this, of this letter remains unverified. So Dave Toshi, the, the lead homicide detective, who is played by Mark Ruffalo in the movie. Shout out, Mark Ruffalo, Savannah. Yeah, she likes him. For his eyes. He does have kind eyes. Yeah, Dave Toshi uh, is believed to have written fake letters to to uh, newspaper outlets, like claiming to be the Zodiac, which is really bizarre for a detective to do. Yeah. Yeah. So probably trying to. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, in April 2004, the SFPD marked the case inactive, citing caseload pressure and resource demands, effectively closing the case. However, due to the release of the movie Zodiac in 2007, they reopened their case in March. So this movie that someone made, uh, based on a book, which I'll get into in a bit, uh, caused the entire case to be reopened. And... In May 2018, so free, very recently, the Vallejo Police Department announced their intention to attempt to collect the Zodiac Killer's DNA from the back of stamps he used to do during his correspondence. The analysis by a private laboratory is expected to utilize an advanced new technique that is able to separate DNA from the glue present on the back of stamps. It is hoped the Zodiac Killer may be caught in a similar fashion to the Golden State Killer. Golden State Killer. Yeah, he uh, he actually very recently, like a few months ago, uh, he's like this old seventy year old man. He uh, got he got uh, using DNA. He was identified in fifteen murders in the seventies. Hmm. Yes. So we are on to theories. Thank God. One of the most prominent theories is a uh, is against a man by Arthur Lee Allen. We're three pages left. 
two actually is it by a man named Arthur Lee Allen. Robert Graysmith's book, Zodiac, which the movie Zodiac is based around, advanced Arthur Lee Allen as a potential suspect based on circumstantial evidence. Allen had been interviewed by police from the early days of the Zodiac investigations and was the subject of several search warrants over a 20-year period. In 2007, Graysmith noted that several police detectives described Allen as the most likely suspect. However, in 2010, Toshi stated that all the evidence against Allen ultimately turned out to be negative. But then again, with all the mysterious surrounding this case, no one is for sure. Uh, on October 6, 1969, Allen was interviewed by Detective John Lynch of the Vallejo Police Department. He had been reported in the vicinity of the Lake Berryessa attack against Hartnell and Shepard on September 27, 1969. He described himself scuba diving at Salt Point on the day of the attacks. Allen again came to police attention in 1971 when his friend Donald Cheney reported to police in Manhattan Beach, California that Allen had spoken of his desire to kill people, use the name Zodiac, and secure a flashlight to a firearm for visibility at night. According to Cheney, this conversation occurred no later than January 1st, 1969, while they were fishing. Jack Mullinax of the Vallejo Police Department sub subsequently wrote Allen had received an other... Wait, what? Jack... This is very weird wording. Of the Vallejo Police Department subsequently wrote Allen had received an other than honorable discharge from the U.S. Navy in 1958. Okay, so this is notes. Jack Mullinax notes, and had been fired from his job as an elementary school teacher in March of 1968 after allegations of sexual misconduct with students. Hmm. Yes. He was generally well regarded by those who knew him, but he was never... He was also described as fixated on young children and angry at women. He apparently never had a girlfriend or married. In September of 1972, San Francisco police obtained a search warrant for Allen's residence. In 74, he was arrested for committing lewd sex acts upon a 12-year-old boy, and he pleaded guilty and served two years in prison. Vallejo police served another search warrant on Allen's residence in 90, 1991. Two days after Allen's death in 1992, Vallejo police served another warrant and seized property from Allen's residence. Other evidence existed against Allen. A letter sent to the Riverside Police Department from Bates Killer was typed with the Royal Typewriter with an Elite Type, the same brand found during the February 1991 search on Allen's residence. He owned and wore a Zodiac brand wristwatch. He lived in Vallejo and worked minutes away from where one of the first victims, Farron, lived and from where one of the killings took place. In 2002, SFPD developed a partial DNA profile from the saliva on stamps and envelopes of Zodiac's letters. They compared this partial DNA to the DNA of Arthur Lee Allen, and a DNA comparison was also made with the DNA of Don Shenny, who was Allen's former close friend and the first person to suggest Allen may be the Zodiac killer. Since neither test result indicated a match, it being partial and 2002, Allen and Shenny were excluded as the contributors of the DNA, though it cannot be stated definitively that it is DNA from the Zodiac on the envelopes. However, as of 2018, it was announced that the 2002 DNA sample was collected from the out, from outside the stamp rather than behind it or from the envelope seal, meaning Allen could still be a suspect. Retired police handwriting expert Lloyd Cunningham, who worked the Zodiac case for decades, added, They gave me banana boxes full of Allen's writing and none of his writing ever came close to the Zodiac, nor did DNA extracted from the envelopes on the Zodiac letters come close to Arthur Lee Allen. Again, the DNA iffy as i explained uh and it being like it could be possible that they got the wrong dna just from like someone handling the letter mm -hmm. while police often use document examiners during investigations court rulings on the scientific validity of handwriting analysis has been mixed to negative a couple more things about arthur Lee allen uh he went to school and was uh, a frequent quote friend of i want to say if i can remember her name the first victim, Darlene Farron, I want to say. And people, again, this is just from my knowledge and like reading about it, uh, people that knew him supposedly said he had like a weird obsession with her. And another thing that, uh, which makes me believe this could be Arthur Leon, is that he was ambidextrous. So he could have written Zodiac letters in a different hand, and then when police came to tell him to write, he wrote it in his other hand, so it didn't match up at all. He was, no, he was known to be ambidextrous. I believe Don Shanahan was the one that told police about that. And also Mike Majot, again, 20 years later, uh, he was questioned by police 
1992, and he was shown a series of pictures of who the who who he thought was the one that killed him, or the guy that attacked him. And he's looking through all of them, and then he immediately identifies Arthur Allen and says, I am 100% sure this is the man who attacked me that night. Hmm. But again, that was 20 years later, and it's believed that Mike Majo, due to the depression and like the celebrity status, I guess, he was given by the attacks, uh, went to drug and alcohol addiction, and that could have messed up his brain and messed yeah. up the identification of it. Uh, so these are other suspects slash confessions by people claiming to be Zodiac. In 2007, a man named Dennis Kaufman claimed that his stepfather, Jack Terrence, was the Zodiac. Kaufman turned several items over to the FBI, including a hood similar to the one worn by the Zodiac at the Lake Murders. According to news sources, DNA analysis conducted by the FBI on the items were deemed inconclusive in 2010. But again, with 2018 and the new technology they're trying to use, they might go back to this as well as all the information that will be uh, discussed. In 2009, a former lawyer named Robert Tarbox, who in August 1975 was disbarred by the California Supreme Court for failure to pay some clients, said that in the early 1970s, a merchant mariner walked into his office and confessed him that he was a Zodiac killer. Nah. Uh, the seemingly lucid seaman, whose name Tarbox would not reveal due to confidentiality, described his crimes briefly but persuasively enough to convince Tarbox. The man said he was trying to stop himself from his opportunistic murder spree, but never returned to see Tarbox again. Tarbox took out a full-page ad in the Vallejo Times-Herald that he claimed would clear the name of Arthur Leon as a killer, his only reason for revealing the story 30 years after the fact. Robert Graysmith, the author of several books on the Zodiac, said Tarbox's story was entirely plausible. So Robert Graysmith uh, stands by that he believes Arthur Leon is the suspect. He, he actually worked with Dave Toshi. Like he would, he, to quote, obsessed over the Zodiac Killer. He was a cartoonist for the uh, newspaper that Paul Avery worked at. Mm -hmm. He then became obsessed with doing that, essentially became a private investigator for himself and convinced Dave Toshi uh, originally, again, because Dave Toshi came out and said it wasn't plausible that uh, Arthur Leon was the suspect. And Robert Graysmith, uh, the whole book is about Arthur Leon being the suspect. And that's what the movie is about. Spoiler. But it's about yeah. him. It's a, and it's really cool because in the, at the end of the movie, it's like in like the 80s, and it has Jake Gyllenhaal, who's playing Robert Graysmith, walk into a hardware store and just stare at Arthur Lee Allen. And then like uh, Arthur like is like, can I help you? But he's just like staring at him. And then his face is just like, just like goes cold and is like, like, uh, like he knows that Robert knows who he is or something. And then Robert just walks out. It's a really cool movie. I very much recommend that movie. It's long, though. It's like two and a half hours. Well, you did just spoil it. It's a true story. We just spoiled <laughs> it. In 2009, an episode of the History Channel television series, Mystery Quest, looked at newspaper editor Richard Gakowski, who died in 2004. During the time of the murders, Gakowski worked for The Good Times, a San Francisco counterculture newspaper. His appearance resembles the composite sketch and Nancy Slover, the Vallejo police dispatcher who was contacted by the Zodiac shortly after the Blue Rock Springs attack, has identified a recording of Gakowski's voice as being the same as the Zodiac's. Retired police detective Steve Hodel argues in his book The Black Dahlia Avenger that his father, George Hill Hodel, who died in 1999, was a Black Dahlia killer whose victims include Elizabeth Short. The book led to the release of previously suppressed files and wire recordings by the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office of his father, which showed that he was a prime suspect in Short's murder. District Attorney Steve Kay subsequently wrote a letter, which is published in the revised edition, stating that if George Hodel were still alive, he would be prosecuted for the crimes. In a follow-up book, Hodel argued a circumstantial case that his father was also the Zodiac Killer. Based upon a police sketch, the similarity of the style of the Zodiac letters to the Black Dahlia Avenger letters, and questioned document uh, examination. On February 19, 2011, America's Most Wanted featured a story about the Zodiac Killer. In 2010, a picture surfaced of known Zodiac victim Darlene Farron and a man who closely resembles the composite sketch formed based on eyewitnesses' descriptions of the Zodiac Killer. Police believe the photo was taken in San Francisco in the middle of 1966 or 67. Former California Highway Patrol officer Lydon Lafferty said the Zodiac Killer was a 91-year-old Solano County, California man whom he called by the pseudonym George Russell Tucker. Using a group of retired law enforcement officers called the Madamus Seven, Lafferty discovered Tucker and a cover-up for why he was not pursued. Tucker died in February 2012 and was not named because he was not considered a suspect by police.
In 2014, it was reported that a man named Louis Joseph, Louis Joseph Myers had confessed to a friend in 2001 that he was the Zodiac Killer after learning that he was dying from cirrhosis of the liver. He requested that his friend, Randy Kenny, go to the police upon his death. Myers died in 2002, but Kenny allegedly had difficulties getting police officers to cooperate and take the claim seriously. There are several potential connections between Myers and the Zodiac case. Myers attended the same high school as victims David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. Myers allegedly worked in the same restaurant as victim Darlene Farron. Myers also had access to the same sort of military boots whose print were found at the Lake Berryessa crime scene. And furthermore, during the 1971 and 73, where no letters were ever received, Myers was stationed overseas with the military. Kenny says that Myers confessed he targeted couples because he had a bad breakup with a girlfriend. While officers associated with the case are skeptical, they believe the story is credible enough to investigate. Hmm. And that, Douglas, and our audience, is the Zodiac Killer. The Zodiac. So what do you think? Um, I mean, it's definitely a lot to uh, take in. Take in. Um, you know, obviously still unsolved case mm-hmm. the case is open right like yes still- yeah so so the golden state killer ha- very recently uh i'm actually gonna look up his name and then i'll show you a picture and see if you recognize him i remember seeing uh youtube clickbait of the zodiac killer with the sort of hood on and his glasses and then the so you recognize this like yeah. in the news recently so this is the golden state killer he was it was unsolved he had killed about 15 people oh he committed at least 13 murders 50 rapes and over 100 burglaries Jesus. between 1974 and 1986 uh so on april 24th 2018 using the dna that they are trying to use um with the Zodiac, they were able to capture him. So because of this, people thought, especially since it was in the same area, what if we try and see if we can figure out the Zodiac with that? So that's why they're doing like private lab and everything and new uh, technology that is able to like lift evidence from material that usually scrambles it. Mm. So yes, it technically is still open. They're, I guess, in the process of doing the DNA. Yeah. I mean, with, I guess, um, forensic technology nowadays, it should... I guess I guess like further the investigation, further it along to being solved. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's all I got on that. That's all you have. That's all your. I mean, it's just the zodiac, man. <laughs> Do See, our... it's just an enigma. <laughs> Do our audience members want to say anything? You did a good job. <laughs> it's not really what I was looking for. Preston, mom, you did a good job, sweetie. Preston, do you want to say anything? I did great. Hey, y'all, so much. That is that is the uh, the most information on our topic so far. I think it was. I think, it, I think it, I think that was. I think that was too much. You think? Yeah. I wanted to get as much possible. I didn't want to leave anything out. Yeah. How long were we at? Huh? How long were we at? We're about an hour in. Whoops. Well. Do you think? Uh, who do you think it could be? I think the um, list with the suspects I gave you. Arthur Lee Miller. Alan. Alan. I don't know why I thought Miller. You think him? I think mostly him, yeah. Did you say a Miller guy? No? I don't think so. Alright. <laughs> I wonder if there's a picture of Arthur Lee Allen. Probably. Here, here's a picture of Arthur Lee Allen next to this sketch. Yeah. Uh, Definitely seen that sketch. That actually before. does. Yeah, the sketch is very famous, but that actually doesn't look terrible. That actually could be. They yeah. kind of look similar. Not entirely, obviously, but Wait, possibly. It's a sketch. It's also a doodle. Yeah. It's a doodle. It's a doodle. <laughs> doodle scoodle. Do you think uh, that something like the Zodiac could happen in today? Oh, yeah. You think? Even with, like. Well, I mean, you'd have to be more thorough with. Uh, like you, have to, you obviously have to be really smart. Yeah. You have to cover your tracks well, but um, I mean, like what we were saying with the taking the DNA off the stamps, like that didn't they didn't start doing that until like well after, right? Like yeah, like they they're they just the starting technology. to do that. Yeah. Like they they just that's because of the Golden State and that they were able to successfully use that. They're now trying it with the Zodiac. Yeah, I mean back. So this then, is like a few months ago. Yeah, back then it was obviously easy peasy. 
Well, I've been squeezy. Yeah, but nowadays, I think you'd have to... You'd, you'd have to be a genius. Right? Absolutely. To, Just to be able to evade like computer forensics and all that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, people do it still. Absolutely. Yeah, people do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I guess there's nothing else on your mind about the Zodiac, then uh, I guess we call it quits. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of reading. Huh? It was a lot of reading. I'm very thirsty. That's how I, that's how I felt uh, on the uh, Russian sleep experiment one. Oh, dude, this one was way longer. Yeah, it wasn't even close to this. Nowhere close. Next time you no, say no, don't do anything. It's still a better podcast. Ah. You're gonna be do, you're gonna be saying if I say you don't do anything, if I say that six months from now, you're gonna revert back to this. You haven't done anything since. Yeah, <laughs> but remember that one time I did something. <laughs> that was dope, dude. I edit the podcast. <laughs> that was dope. I click a button and post. You it. don't know how That's to upload editing. it. You don't know how to upload it. I could upload. Yeah, well, no. Well, it's not that hard. Anyways, <laughs> I farted. Uh, thank you for listening as always. Please follow us on Instagram at nicewims.podcast if you are new. Uh, again, if you have there's anything you ever want to hear, just let us know. DM. And uh, I guess just keep up to date on uh, Nicewims yeah. Instagram for any new updates. And uh, we will see you all next week when Douglas brings us a... Uh, spicy topic. A spicy topic. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, jeez. All right. We will... Uh, Douglas? See you on the flip side.